Welcome to Citizen Science, stories of science we can do together. In this thrilling episode, we'll be distilling 30 excitement-packed days of Citizen Science Month pandemonium into a single podcast of non-stop science action. Hey, Citizen Science fans. Wow, I cannot believe Citizen Science Month is over. That was such an intense and exciting 30 days. First, credit where credit is due. A huge thank you to the All of Us Research Program and the Network of the National Library of Medicine for supporting SciStarter and Arizona State University during Citizen Science Month. We're still unpacking the month here. In fact, our evaluators from Arizona State University will give us a full report about how we did sometime in June. Meanwhile, you can visit citizensciencemonth.org to learn about the projects featured during Citizen Science Month and watch related videos, including videos of some of the webinars we'll learn about in this podcast at scistarter.org forward slash citizen science videos. And that's with hyphens separating the word citizen science and videos. So it's citizen hyphen science hyphen videos. Well, anyway, we've got a link right here on the information section of this podcast to make that easier for you. Okay, and now let's relive some of the experience. The whole SciStarter team, including my co-host, Caroline Nickerson, worked with people all over the world to host over a hundred online events. There were brilliant project leaders, inspiring volunteers, and extraordinary libraries participating. And let's start with a project called SciQuest. So, you know those online quizzes that will tell you what kind of dog you'd be if you were a dog, or what house at Hogwarts School of Wizardry you'd be sorted into, or um, you know what kind of Myers-Briggs personality type you are? SciQuest is sort of like that, but it's designed to find out what kind of citizen scientist you are. So yes, it's a it's a citizen science project about citizen science because, you know, the National Science Foundation and many other groups invest in citizen science and they want to know not only how it helps scientists, but also what effect it has on the people who volunteer. The real goal of SciQuest is we just really want to know who you are, uh, who are citizen scientists. That's PhD student and researcher Bradley Alf, who runs the SciQuest project. It's pretty amazing uh, if you stop and think about it. All over the world right now, there are tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people contributing to scientific progress. Uh, right now, there are people in their backyards measuring how much rain uh, is in their rain gauge through Coco Ross. Right now, there are people on iNaturalist identifying hundreds of species from all over the world that have been submitted by strangers to this database altogether, working to advance what we know about ecology. Uh, right now, there are people reporting their COVID symptoms for a COVID citizen science research project, which has been you know, instrumental in better understanding how COVID is spreading through different communities and how public health authorities uh, can respond to outbreaks. All that's happening right now, and it's all because of this idea of citizen science of allowing for amazing and unique partnerships between science and the public. And building on what we know about that phenomenon, I think is super important. That's what the goal of cyclist is. And so who are those people that are doing that? What are their motivations? And what are they getting out of the experience? You can join SciQuest at SciStarter.org. And we have links to the project and to the SciQuest webinar here on the podcast page. By the way, that goes for all of the projects I'll be including on this podcast. And speaking of 
all the projects I'll be including on this podcast. Another one of those is Caterpillars Count. How's that for a segue? So what you do in Caterpillars Count is you don't all answer at once. Yes, you count caterpillars and any other bugs living on uh, one or more small leafy branches. And so you're probably wondering, why would you do that? Well, University of North Carolina researcher Alan Hurlbert, who started Caterpillars Count, explains that bugs like caterpillars are in trouble. There have been some alarming studies from various parts of the world suggesting that insects, different insect groups may be declining over time. And of course, uh, in different parts of the world, that could be due to different sorts of things. It could be due to climate change and warming. It could be due to pesticide use. It could be due to uh, land use conversion and things like that. Um, but so there have been enough studies where eyebrows are being raised and we're sort of concerned about how widespread these insect declines are. So as a bug lover, that's enough to convince me. But Hurlbert is more of a bird lover and he's concerned because these bugs are important food for songbirds. What I'm most interested in are um, foliage gleaning birds. A lot of our migratory birds are these little foliage gleaners, things like warblers and vireos and things like that. The general decline of bugs could be a big problem for these bug-eating birds, but climate change could make things a lot worse. Um, so if the trees are leaving out earlier, that might mean the insects and caterpillars are coming out earlier. And so now imagine you're like this little songbird down in Brazil, spending the winter, chilling out, and it's like, okay, I'm going to migrate north to my breeding grounds to get all those tasty insects. But you don't realize that things have been advancing. Um, you know, we call it the phenology, right? Or that seasonal timing of the plants and the insects. If everything is changing in your breeding ground and you're a bird and you migrate at your normal time, you might actually miss that peak in insect availability and sort of get with climate change, there's the possibility of getting out of sync or getting mismatched with those bird food resources. And that could mean the birds run out of bugs right when they need them to fuel up after a long flight and then to feed their chicks. So if you care about bugs or birds, you know, or even trees, I mean, you know, if all these very hungry caterpillars munch away with no population control from birds, those poor trees are going to get eaten alive. So... If this seems interesting and important to you, go to SciStarter, check out Caterpillars Count. And uh, Dr. Hurlbert says that even if you do it just once and send in your results, that's a big help. Okay, so Caterpillars Count is sort of the classic citizen science outdoor survey, natural history kind of project. But uh, for Citizen Science Month, we also featured two projects that focus on social sciences, Public Editor and Demo Watch. And both of them are run by Goodly Labs. And Goodly Labs is an organization dedicated to equipping individuals with collaborative tools and opportunities, allowing them to find common ground and take responsibility for building a better society. And yes, I did just read that off of their website, but man, what a great mission, right? And so, okay, so let's start with Public Editor. You've probably read a news story and like said to yourself, that doesn't sound right. That sounds kind of sketchy. But how do you know if it's sketchy? Well, that's what Public Editor is for. It shows you how to analyze news articles and determine how reliable they are. First, you complete a tutorial that teaches you what to look for and how to mark up the stories. Looking for things like inferential mistakes, psychological biases, or argumentative fallacies. 
Then you go to work labeling and correcting the misinformation in real news articles and then share those results with the world. How cool is that? Nick Adams is founder and chief scientist of Goodly Labs and created Public Editor. The problem that we're trying to solve is one that everyone is familiar with at this point. You could call it misinformation. You could call it fake news. Um, but it's not really a new problem. As long as we've had news, um, we've probably had some misinformation in our ecosystem. But now we have 2 billion amateur publishers, people who are passing articles and misinformation around via social media. And that's a huge problem with a huge scale. And we have to find ways to intervene in that. He says teaching people how to spot misinformation could go a long way towards solving the problem, especially if they could use their knowledge to inform others. Uh, so the goal of Public Editor is, is to create the possibility that we can all share reality again together. Uh, this is a, like Goodly Labs, this is a nonprofit, nonpartisan um, project, and it's a collective intelligence system that provides nation-scale media literacy training while at the same time labeling all the dubious words and phrases in the most shared news articles on the web. So we're labeling all the problems in the news article and we're also generating these credibility scores, which can actually be used to raise the quality of our overall um, kind of news diet. Now, Demo Watch is another project from the same group. And this one focuses on protests and how police and protesters interact. The project is focusing on media coverage of Occupy Wall Street, and you analyze the media that they provide to see what actions by protesters led to violence by police and what police actions led to violence by protesters. New York University professor Alex Barnard works with Adams and others on Demo Watch. We're actually going to get into the events uh, and observe how one action within them leads to another, how you know, police use pepper spray and then a protester threw a bottle. Uh, people dropped a banner and at that point, you know, police started making arrests. Uh, so within each of these events, we're gonna look at the chain of actions and then we're gonna see how they're linked over, you know, over time. So one day the police had a very forceful response uh, and the next day the crowd you know, that came to another protest was very, very different and perhaps more ready for, to spark sort of some sort of conflict. Bernard says it's not some anti-police kind of thing. There are many law enforcement agencies that want this information. They want to see how these interactions unfold and how they resolve. Your work could help efforts to improve law enforcement at public demonstrations, reduce tensions, and make these events safer for everyone. And again, that project is called Demo Watch, and it's a sister program to Public Editor, and they're both produced by Goodly Labs. All right, now... Earlier in the podcast, Bradley Alf, who runs the SciQuest project, said that all over the world there are, um, how did he put it? All over the world right now, there are tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of people contributing to scientific progress. That's it. And to demonstrate that in real time, Caroline Nickerson hosted a Citizen Science Around the World webinar, hopping from continent to continent to check on amazing citizen science efforts all over the globe. Even in Antarctica, where oceanographer Alison Cusick and geophysicist Laura Smith helped run the Polar Citizen Science Collective, bringing together scientists conducting research there with tourists and other visitors. Why Antarctica? Cusick explains. 
It is a very important continent. It is covered in ice. It is surrounded by an ocean. And this is the coldest ocean in the world that actually ends up circulating to all of the other ocean basins. And it's Earth's air conditioning system. It's also one of the fastest warming regions in the world, which is a problem for ice-covered ecosystems. So how things are changing here will impact global processes and everyone living on Earth. One of their projects is called Fjord Phyto, as in phytoplankton. It's looking at how phytoplankton or this microscopic level of life is being influenced in the coastal fjord ecosystem um, by melting glaciers. Phytoplankton is critical to polar food webs, and samples collected by the volunteers help scientists track ecosystem health. Other projects included in the Polar Citizen Science Collective include cloud observations for NASA's Globe Observer, seabird surveys for the Antarctic Site Inventory, whale observations for Happy Whale, and sea ice measurements for Ice Watch. In a much warmer climate in Nigeria, Victor Sunday leads a team called the Unique Mappers Network. Their many programs include mapathons, where they train volunteers on how to collect mapping data. The data is used by researchers to find areas that are vulnerable to floods and other natural disasters. They also participate in a variety of international citizen science projects. Uchechi Shirley Anadwaka is research and training associate for Unique Mappers and explains that much of their work is framed by the United Nations 17 Sustainable Development Goals, or SDGs. Um, so as a citizen science community, uh, we do run uh, inclusive community empowerment programs and trainings, both in person and virtual. And the aim is to drive the SDGs. We run the stall catches to fight Alzheimer's disease, uh, mapathons for vulnerable communities to save lives and properties. Uh, we also map night pollution and mosquito habitat to eliminate malaria. You can learn more about the Stall Catchers project to study Alzheimer's disease, Globe at Night, and Globe Observer's Mosquito Habitat Mapper at SciStarter.org. Scott Edmund is co-founder of Citizen Science Asia, a group that includes 50 countries, some of which have been somewhat isolated from the international citizen science community, despite having practiced citizen science for thousands of years. Citizen science, it's got a really long history here. Um, the concept itself may not be uh, well known um, amongst the populace, but pe people are doing this stuff and we have been for millennia. The longest running citizen science project in the world is monks in Japan uh, recording cherry blossom blooms, for example. And there are projects in, in China that are 2000 years old looking at locust swarms, for example. And there's a lot of us, right? There's, there's, there's 50 countries here and we're about 60% of the world's population. So if you're going to be studying citizen science, you know, citizens in Asia really need to play a part of this. He explains that Citizen Science Asia is bringing this long tradition into the international citizen science community and spreading the practice more widely within Asia. Citizen Science Asia Japan Ambassador Imu Felicitatis Miyushida described a program called SafeCast, created in response to the 2011 nuclear accident at the Fukushima nuclear power plant. The lack of electricity in the area made it difficult to collect and report data on environmental radiation. The SafeCast project created a do-it-yourself Geiger counter kit that volunteers could build, allowing them to collect and report information of critical importance to scientists. And it has a GPS data in it, so you can carry it um, while you're walking or while you're in a car um, 
basically, if you're moving, you can generate data at that moment. It's very easy also to use. It's, there's only one uh, switch to turn it on, and there's one switch to start the measurement. Now there are more than 5,000 of these um, kits, and now we have one of the largest data sets, um, more than 160 million data spots now. The Citizen Science Around the World webinar also featured scientists in Australia, South America, North America, and Europe. But you don't have to book international travel to participate in an international science project. There are dozens of them that are as close as your nearby library. In fact, in one of the many library-based webinars supported by the National Library of Medicine, our own Caroline Nickerson traveled virtually to Oregon to join Waldport Public Library Director Sue Bennett and Family Outreach Coordinator Sharon McCrum. Together, they shared all of the incredible projects available through the library. They include Marine Debris Tracker to help scientists track coastal trash, iNaturalist to sample biodiversity, and a cool new health-related project called All of Us that Caroline described. The All of Us Research Program is a really um, pivotal part of Citizen Science Month. So there are a lot of different featured projects, and one of the most important that makes the rest of Citizen Science Month possible with their support is the All of Us Research Program. So if you go to jo joinallofus.org forward slash NLM, you can take part in an exciting precision medicine initiative by contributing surveys or contributing your own samples like blood and urine to the All of Us Research Program. So you might be wondering, well, what is precision medicine? Precision medicine is an emerging approach for disease treatment and prevention that takes into account the individual variability in lifestyle, socioeconomics, environment, and biology. So basically, it's a radical shift in how each of us can receive the best care possible based on our unique makeup. And it's not science fiction. There are already some examples of precision medicine that you probably see in your own life, like the glasses I'm wearing right now. They're prescribed to me. They match my eyes precisely. Um, other people probably wouldn't be able to see with them. Same with insulin pumps, blood transfusions, and hearing aids. They're all personalized to people to make sure they can help them. The All of Us Research Program, through collecting different samples and survey data, wants to expand this approach to all different types of medicine, to end one-size-fits-all medicine and make sure everybody gets the right treatment that they need for whatever they need. Um, and I can provide this blog post in the chat after I'm done, but I really think it's amazing how they're trying to get a million volunteers to revolutionize medicine and you all are invited to participate. Uh, maybe you'll do one of our other featured projects like Marine Debris Tracker and Globe at Night in addition to all of us. But I really would urge you all and I invite you all to sign up for the All of Us Research Program via joinallofus.org forward slash NLM. And I'm just really grateful to them for the support they provide for Citizen Science Month. Thanks, Caroline. Well, I'm discovering right now that it is just not possible to sum up an entire month's worth of Citizen Science events in one podcast. But I do want to highlight before we go, the Kid Science Webinar with the hosts of National Geographic's Weird But True television show, the creator of the iNaturalist Seek mobile phone app, which I use all the time and you should too, and the PBS television series Sci Girls. If you've got kids, listen to that one together with them. And definitely not for kids, but just for fun, there's also a great Nerd Night webinar with Guinness World Records that you can break the science of hangovers, and a dry t-shirt contest looking for the nerdiest t-shirts. 
So even if you missed Citizen Science Month, you didn't miss Citizen Science Month. It's all there for you at citizensciencemonth.org and at SciStarter. Just click on the links right here on the information section of this podcast and you can binge out. I'm Bob Hershon. Thanks for listening. Thank you.